Christianity is not a religion, albeit a religion has been made from it, but once it's been regulated to a religion, then any religion will do. Christ didn't actually create any form or function for how we are to practice a religion per se. So what's happened over these thousands of years where we have more form than function? We have a form of godliness, but we deny the power thereof. We're going to tweak this conversation a little bit. I'm Robert Winfield, and this is Chapter House. We've had Gallup polls since the 1930s. In the 90s, Gallup noticed that while the Christian faith is highly popular in America, there's a knowledge gap between America's stated faith and basic knowledge about that faith. In Hebrews, Paul says in fact that by this time you ought to be teachers, but you need to be taught all over again from scratch. Paul said this to a group of Christians who had been born again for some time yet they had not progressed spiritually. They were, in a way, majoring on the minors. So given this text, it should be reasonable to think that spiritual progression is not related to a chronological aspect. 20 years as a Christian doesn't equate to 20 years of spiritual growth. So what's the issue here? The spiritual growth line shouldn't be flat. We should always be climbing up and to the right. God teaches us in almost every book in the New Testament the importance of growing spiritually. In fact, we have quite an extreme scripture to back this up. Ephesians 4, 13 through 14. No longer be children, but develop and mature to the standard of Christ's own perfection and the completeness found in Him. Here we have the expectation to mature to the standard of Christ's own perfection and completeness. I mean, wow. Evidently, if it wasn't possible, we wouldn't be held accountable. Totally unreasonable and totally unnegotiable. You can't really get around this. Ephesians lays out our capacity. If we look at the demoniac of Gerasenes, we see he had two to 6,000 demons inside of him. That also shows us our spiritual capacity. Can you imagine being that full of the Holy Spirit? We have the capacity to so much more than we can ask or even think. However, many today have switched to a sort of autopilot in their spiritual walk. A plane on autopilot will run a flat line until it runs out of gas and slowly but steadily runs aground. This type of posturing leaves us liable to be influenced by the world and its ways. Until you've turned towards the kingdom, you haven't yet turned your back on the world. In the Bible, we see people turning away from the ways of God for just a taste of the world, like Israel coming out of Egypt. They were born again into a new world and a new way, but still they had tons of baggage. The biggest issue that God had with their baggage is that they refused to get rid of it. While being free on the outside, they were still bound on the inside. He took them out of Egypt, but he couldn't remove Egypt out of them. The people's biggest cry was to give up and go back to Egypt eating leftover boiled meat 
cucumbers and, and onions. Remember, they could go into the promised land, but rejected that notion. So now they had to wander around in the desert and they died in their tracks. What God wanted for them was not on their radar. The people had a supernatural pillar of fire at night to keep them warm and a supernatural pillar of cloud to shade them in the day, but still didn't feel they had been delivered and kept looking to their souls for a reason to believe. They kept looking back like Lot's wife. They had been escorted out of prison, but had not entered into the kingdom. But where did we see this type of behavior before Exodus? Genesis 25. Esau trades his birthright, or the entire blessing, for a bowl of soup. He wasn't under duress, and nobody was forcing him. He did it willingly. Where do we see this again? The prodigal son. The prodigal son leaves his birthright and blows all his cash and ends up in a trough of pig slop. His brother, who had the birthright, had no idea how to access it, appreciate it, or realize it. He complains to his father that, you never give me anything, to which his father counters with, everything I have is yours. So what are we forfeiting by not entering into the kingdom of God? What do we find so alluring and fascinating with the world, its media, society, culture, and technology, compared to God's system? Today, there's a tendency for us to think we have nothing more to aspire to than a day-to-day -day interaction with the world or soul. We lose sight of the fact that the world is totally dependent on the spiritual realm to survive. We lose sight of what we can do, what we can have, and where we can go in Christ. There's a chasm between what we believe and what we know about and desire about that belief. Many of us have been escorted out of darkness, but have not yet entered into the light. We have not gone through the door. We stand on the threshold, peering into a mirror, forgetting who we are. In many ways, we're still stuck like Israel in Kadesh Barnea. The function of salvation has been so blurred, so many don't enter into the kingdom, and many others stand in the way. While the salvation message is ultra-important, Jesus didn't preach our traditional salvation message per se. He more or less preached a timeless reality. This is not the same as going to heaven when you hit your expiration date like an old carton of yogurt. This is a transformation into the kingdom of God that is at hand now. Every Christian should enter into the kingdom of God before they die. If the heavenly realm of God was our singular goal, God would just take us there when we accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, and everyone in the world would probably follow suit. We aren't merely to be Christian flag wavers, but actual examples to the world that God's word is made apparent or manifest here and now on earth. I mean, if you think sickness, disease, poverty, and lack are acceptable to Christian values, then the world is going to take umbrage with those prospects. Who needs it? There's plenty of that to go around as is. People are looking for a glimpse of heaven in us. The renewing of the mind transforms the believer into a functioning citizen of the kingdom of God. We haven't been given the mind of Christ, 
to forego its use. Every man is where he is by the law of his being. The thoughts which he has built into his character have brought him there, and in the arrangement of his life there is no element of chance, but all is the result of a law which cannot err. The whole spiritual landscape is dependent on highly regulated fixed laws. These aren't laws like if you run a stop sign you get a ticket. They aren't like the laws that say if you do bad things you're going to be punished. These are like laws of physics, laws of light, orbits, inertia, gravity, energy, laws of cause and effect. A 747 could fly in the time of Jesus just like it does now because of these fixed laws. It just took until 1903 to discover and harness the laws of flight. We can find many of these laws in Scripture. Here are only a few, and I listed them in particular because six out of seven actually have the words, the laws of, before them. The law of faith, Romans 3.27. The law of righteousness, Romans 9.31. The law of sin and death, Romans 7.23. The law of spirit and life, Romans 8.2. The law of Christ, Galatians 3.13. The royal law of love, James 2.8. The law of seed, time, and harvest, Genesis 8.22. In many ways, however, just about everything God says is a law. If he says he changes not, then that's it. If he says, I'm the God that heals you, that's it. Scriptural laws are absolute. Nothing in the universe affects them. Let's look at the Oxford Dictionary. A law is a particular phenomenon that always occurs if certain conditions are present. We create, knowingly or unknowingly, conditions that become a catalyst for things desired or undesired. The curse without a cause will not come. These laws separate religion from relation. Religion will deny or ignore them, and the truth becomes a stranger. Relationship with God will cultivate them. They become the entire essence of our covenant with God. God's word is his bond. It's within these laws that we shrink or expand our spiritual response to God and his global agenda. It's within these laws that we learn grow and become kingdom citizens and live in the freedom God has given to us through His Son, Jesus Christ. The more we forget, ignore, suspend, defer, or fail to act on our core beliefs, our road to freedom becomes further and further away. Only when what we believe becomes real enough will we be transformed. If we don't change our course, we can't change our identity, our destiny, and most important, society. So at what end time juncture does the church act as Jesus in every aspect? Where is the Christ in Christian? Where are the you will do greater things than me? When are the Christians healed, prosperous, and doing exploits as the saints of old, raising the dead? healing the sick with signs that follow those who believe. When do we reach out our staff and part the seas of this small blue dot we call Earth? So let's become the men and women God created us to be. 
and enter into his kingdom, laying aside our religious form and function as a peculiar people. Pursue the God who's pursuing us and become like those men and women in the first century who turned the world upside down. Walk in love, stand in faith, and launch out into the deep. Till next time.